chapter 23 and verse 13. You know, we live in a world where irony abounds. Uh, just think about a few of these things. Why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? It's an enigma to me. Why is Labor Day a holiday? We call it Labor Day, yet most of the people don't work on Labor Day. I was reading this past week about a billboard that said texting while driving is dangerous. And I thought if you actually got that message, you would have to be reading and wouldn't have your eyes on the road. Somebody said, amusingly, I heard on a commercial recently, why does ambiguous have only one meaning? But you know, sometimes irony can be really funny. This week I read a sign that made me laugh. It said, mall maintenance shop. We can repair anything. And below it was, please knock hard on the door. The bell does not work. You know, we think about these things, we scratch our heads. But this morning, as we come to the conclusion of this path toward Calvary that we've been moving through for a number of weeks, it's been more than two months, we come really to uh, a portion of Scripture to me that is an enigma. I was thinking, how in the world could the one who came to make a home for us really not have a room on this earth. You know, we're preparing to celebrate Holy Week, and I love Holy Week. I love Palm Sunday. I love everything that it represents. And this week, uh, I challenge you, just take time and read in the Gospels. Almost a fourth of the content of the Gospels deals with this last week leading up to his resurrection and then his resurrection appearances. But, you know, during this week that we celebrate, Jesus said in John 14, in this very week we're preparing to celebrate, I go to prepare a place for you. And so his reason to come to this earth was in great part to prepare an eternal room for us. Yet on this earth, Jesus came and mankind had no room for him. He was born in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Jesus, during his public ministry, said birds have nests and foxes have holes, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And today, as we come near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and his first coming, we see that there was still no room for him. There was no room, as we'll see in a few moments, in the Jewish religion among the Jewish leaders of that day. There was no room for both him and Pilate, as we'll see. And Pilate made a decision. He had room for himself, but no room for Jesus. There was no room for justice, as we see a man, Barabbas, who is set free, while the Holy Son of God, the sinless one, had to die. There was no room for justice. Look with me at Luke 23, beginning in verse 13. Pilate called together the chief priests, the leaders, and the people, and said to them, you have brought me this man as one who misleads the people. But in fact, after examining him in your presence, I found no grounds to charge this man with those things you accuse him of. Neither has Herod, because he sent him back to us. Clearly, 
He has done nothing to to deserve death. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then release him. For according to the festival, he had to release someone to them. But then they all cried out together, take this man away, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for rebellion that had taken place in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate addressed them again, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why, what has this man done wrong? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty, therefore I will have him whipped and then release him. But they kept up the pressure, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and their voices won out. So Pilate decided to grant their demand and release the one they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for rebellion and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. Let's pray. Father, as we culminate with this message this week leading up to Resurrection Sunday, as we look at the animosity against Jesus among the religious leaders, the, when it gets down to it, the indifference that a political leader has. We're reminded, Lord, that the path to Calvary was a lonely one for Christ. And he took that path because he loved us. There's no other way that a person could be saved but from the precious blood of Christ that was shed at Calvary. Lord, forgive us when we don't make room for you in our lives, when we prioritize other things that center around us. Lord, forgive us for the times when we acquiesce, when, Lord, we should stand boldly for you. Father, forgive our world today is growing ever more darkened as we look at evil around the globe and as the world seeks the world system to suppress the truth of the gospel. Father, if there be any here today who have not trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray today would be that day of salvation. And I lift this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You know, the context of this, uh, moving forward from last week, in a short time, uh, leading up to this point, Judas had returned, and Judas was not one of the twelve. He proved himself not to be of them. He sold Jesus out, and he brought the people to arrest Jesus. They took Jesus to the home of the high priest, who in turn had Jesus stand before the Sanhedrin. And then the Sanhedrin brought Jesus to Pilate. And the reason they brought Jesus to Pilate was this. They didn't have the power in their own Um, authority really to to have Jesus executed but the Roman government could the Roman government did not care if someone proclaimed to be the Messiah what really got down uh, to matters with the Roman government is this person an insurrectionist is somebody really setting himself against the Roman Empire and as we'll see Pilate questions Jesus first he sends him to Herod because Herod was Um, the ruler where Jesus resided, Herod, really not having the authority to make the decision on Jesus, sent him back to Pilate. And it's understood what the scripture teaches that neither Pilate nor Herod found anything, any grounds for Jesus to be crucified. 
And so Pilate, once he received Jesus back, questions Jesus, and, and multiple times we see here that he appeals to the crowd saying, I, found, I find no basis, I find no grounds for this man to be killed. Yet we see as the story unfolds that he gives in to the pressure of the crowd that is saying, crucify him. And as we look at this, we begin to realize figuratively that Jesus is leaving this world in the same way he entered the world in his first coming. He entered the world in a very quiet night in a very lonely way. He entered this world with really no room. And so as he's leaving this world, we see even his closest followers, followers save one, were nowhere near uh, that mountain where he would be crucified. We see that the religious leaders had moved from trying to discredit him to dispose him. We see that Pilate, who was really weak in this occasion, was not willing to stand up for the truth and abandoned Jesus. There was no room for Jesus. And I wonder, how could the creator of this world have no room? How could the one who was God over the Jewish leaders have no place among them? How could in the musical chairs of justice Jesus be left standing? You know, we think it's strange that a place would say we can fix anything and then can't fix its own doorbell. But likewise, it's very strange to think that a world for whom Jesus has been so accommodating would not accommodate him. As we look at this subject this morning, where it hits home for you and for me is this. Is there room in our lives for Jesus Christ? Are we prioritizing him? Are we making adjustments to him? As we look at, at the things unfolding, the Jewish religious leaders, they were not willing to make adjustments to their religious life. Pilate was not willing to make an adjustment to stand for what is right. And many times we can point the finger, and rightly so, they were wrong. Yet we also have to ask ourselves, what evidence is there that I'm making room for the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? Today I want to look at these three groups and individuals. First, the Jewish leaders. Then we're going to look at Pilate. And finally, Barabbas. The first thing we see with the Jewish leaders was this. They were lords over their own religion. They did not want anyone to invade their territory. It's very interesting. From a very early age, Jesus displayed his knowledge. You remember when his parents inadvertently left him in, in the holy city. They came back and they found him teaching. He was teaching the people. And the leaders of the people were amazed. In fact, Luke 2.47 said that they were astounded at his understanding and his answers. And things did not change in Jesus' adult life. The same wisdom that he uh, expressed and demonstrated in his um, preteen years, he began to continually express throughout his life. And as we study the three years of his public ministry, we see that he always confounded the religious leaders if they sought to challenge him. Over these weeks of studying, we see through his great teaching, through his responses, that things did not change with Jesus, that Jesus, God in the flesh, was the real one. He was the real deal. 
So you wonder, why would the religious leaders not adjust to him? Why wouldn't they concede that Jesus is worthy? And the, and the reason is this, and it's very simple. They built their religion in a way that was not a part of him. Rather, it was a part from him. In other words, they established their religious life, and Jesus was not a factor in it. And, and we're quick to point the finger, and rightly so, but how many times in our lives can we carry out our religious acts, or can we carry out some type of religious discipline, and really it's all about us and not about the Lord. So the religious leaders here, they tried first to discredit Jesus and then to dispose of him. They tried to exclude him as not being a part of the Jewish religion, and then they tried to exterminate him. Last week in our Sunday school lesson, Jesus talked to his disciples about persecution. And he warned his disciples as he was preparing to go to be crucified, he said, you will be persecuted. And then not only did he say they would be persecuted, but he explained in order of their persecution how they would be persecuted. And he said, people will think right uh, first, that is to discredit you and then to dispose of you. John 16, 2 Jesus says this to his disciples, they will ban you from the synagogues, that is, discredit you. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God, dispose. And so it's, it's really an order of that. First, discredit, they'll ban you from the synagogue. You have no authority here, you have no voice. Don't we see a culture today that's trying to exclude the Christian voice? But not only that, we see that it moved, Jesus said, it would move from exclusion to extermination, from discrediting to disposing. And so the very thing that Jesus is warning his disciples here, he has lived out in these few weeks of our study. What has happened every time they try to discredit him, they try to trap him, they try to embarrass him in front of the crowd. Why? To discredit him as being from God. But then we see they were not able to do so, and so as a result of that, they took the next step of that process that Jesus expressed in John 16. They sought to dispose him. But why would they do that? It's very simple. They were threatened by Jesus. There was no place in their religion for Jesus. They were self-righteous. They mistakenly believed that they were the end-all and the be-all of the Jewish faith. Jesus was a threat, and so there was no room for them. If they could not discredit him, they would remove him. And you know, as I think about it today, there's so many applications to this historical situation in our lives today. We are living in a culture that is seeking to discredit the Christian voice. And it's not just in our nation it's around the world, and, and it's a voice that is trying to say there's no place for the Christian worldview in our world today. And so we need to understand that that's coming, and so we understand why we would be discredited. We, we understand why in certain parts of the world, Christians are actually losing their lives because of their faith in the Lord Jesus 
cross. But against this worldview, Jesus says of himself, I and I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. We have a lot of young people in here today, even though some of them have gone into other parts. Let me tell you what you're going to hear today. You're going to hear a number of things, but the truth of God is in the word of God. And Jesus himself is that authority. And it is so important that you ground your life on the well-founded, well-anchored word of God. And do not exclude Jesus from your life, including the very center of your life. You see, the inclusivists that says everything goes are actually exclusivists when they come to Jesus. Again, isn't that ironic? But what about where we are here? There are people that we will encounter who are very religious, and they will think that their right standing with God is by what they do. And there are people in the world today, they try to say, I'm going to be a good person. I'm going to try to get to heaven. I'm better than that person, and I may not be as good as that person, but really God is weighing things out, and I'm better than I am worse, so somehow I'm going to get to heaven. That is a rejection of Jesus Christ. Why would Jesus have died on the cross if I could get to heaven by what I did? I couldn't. We can't. And so there's no room in work salvation, in merited salvation for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the person who continues to work and work and work never knows if he or she has pleased God and is not trusting in Christ. I believe the religious leaders sort of fit in that category. If they would live today, would have lived today, they would have fit in that category. They would be so consumed with their external righteousness that there was no place for Christ. You know, as we're in this holy week, uh, I'm reminded of when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And we were in John 16, I believe, today in, in Sunday school. But when Jesus came uh, to wash the disciples' feet in John 13, Peter said, no, not me, Lord, not me. Jesus responded, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part in me. Jesus is saying to Peter, you need me to do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. Isn't that true for the religious leaders? They just needed to trust and let Jesus do what he could do for them. But they were like Peter initially. No, don't wash me. I, I don't. Jesus said to Peter, if you have a part with me, then you better allow me to wash you. Peter said, well, not, not my, my feet, my hands, all of me. And Jesus said, those who are clean need only the washing of the feet. What that meant is when we're saved, there's still a need for confession. But we're saved once and for all by trusting in Christ. There are people today in the world that are sitting in their own seat called self-righteousness. And they're seated in that seat and they think, it's all going to work out because my plan is better than God's. I will be good enough to make it and I'll be okay. But the gospel of Jesus Christ stands directly against that. It says we cannot be okay. Jesus says that we're sinners and that we need him. 
that we need to yield the seat of our lives over to him. Jesus is saying to us today, move over and give me the seat of righteousness and I will be your righteousness. I wonder today, have you yielded your life to Jesus Christ? Or like the Pharisees, are you resisting him at every turn, thinking your own merit will work out in the end? God's word to you is replete. Repent, rather, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the religious leaders, the Jewish leaders of that day. What about this second individual, Pilate? Pilate hands Jesus over basically to physically save himself. Pilate served under the Roman emperor, Tiberius. He was actually a prefect, a, a governor over the area of Judea. His was an imperial province, which meant that Tiberius, uh, the Caesar, uh, he himself appointed Pilate to be over this particular area. Pilate was to keep order. He was to uh, serve as a military, a judicial, a financial administrator over this territory that Tiberius had assigned to him. But what we see here is Pilate is a weak figure. He's really pathetic. He vacillates. Earlier, his wife had been warned in a dream, and she told Pilate to have nothing to do with turning this Jesus over to be crucified, yet he resisted following that counsel. Even here, after personally questioning Jesus over a period of time, even after saying, I find no grounds to charge this man, he gives in to the crowd. And I thought about Pilate. He wasn't threatened by Jesus. He didn't have an axe to grind with Jesus. Well, why did Pilate give him over to those who would crucify him? I mean, these people were appealing to Pilate. It was not Pilate appealing to them. In the order of authority, he was over these people, yet he relented to them. Why did he do so? Basically because he cared so much about himself. He didn't care about Jesus. The Jews were subservient to him. He didn't owe them anything. He really didn't care about them that much. But he cared what they could do to him. You see, he was placed, Pilate was placed in authority by Tiberius. Tiberius was in Rome. He wasn't concerned with what was happening in Judea unless there was some rabble-rousing, unless there was an unsettling. And if there were an unsettling, Pilate himself would be called to account. Pilate knew that, so in order to appease the crowd and protect his own position, it was expedient for him to give in to the Jewish people. In other words, there was no room for Jesus in Pilate's personal pursuits. And again, we're quick to point the finger at Pilate, but it's important that we take an inventory of our own lives. Is there room for Jesus in my life? Is he at the center of my life, or am I trying to fit him around if I can? And that's what Pilate wanted to do. He, he said, hey, I, I'll, I'll whip him, and then I'll turn him back over to you guys. But once he gave a little bit, he gave it all. 
the Jews were loudly saying, crucify him, crucify him. And simply put, Pilate would not relinquish his own personal pursuits to follow Jesus. He, he, he didn't even follow the facts. He didn't even follow his own intuition. He didn't even follow his own wife's counsel because of the pressure of people. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, if a person would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Very simply put, Pilate did not have room for Jesus because he would not deny himself. He turned against his better judgment. He turned against the facts. I wonder today, are you like Pilate or not? Are you living your life basically for your own comforts, for your own desires, for your own aspirations? Whether it be entertainment, whether it be attainment in work, whether it be achieving in school or whatever. Or is Jesus at the center of your life? God is calling you to yield your life, your aspirations, your ways to him. But I don't want you to finally look with me to Barabbas. Barabbas was the beneficiary of Jesus being rejected. There was no place in the religious establishment for Jesus because the Jewish leaders tried to run that. There was no place for the, the, the political or the governmental because Pilate basically left Jesus on the outside looking in. But finally we see there was no room in man's justice. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. We don't know a lot about Barabbas, but we do know two things in our text. He was an insurrectionist and he was a murderer. An insurrectionist and a murderer. He was the unlikely recipient of the mercy of God. So there are two things that are unfolding here before our eyes as Barabbas is handed over. We can look at it from man's perspective, and we need to, because mankind is sinful. Man is individuals, man's system, and everything is sinful. So as we look at Barabbas in light of that, we look at the injustice. Man held Jesus accountable and did not hold Barabbas accountable. We think that's terrible. Well, suppose someone were to say, look, there was a murderer, there was somebody who was undermining the government, this person was a blatant murderer, and they got to walk out free. We would become very angry about it. Why? Because from man's perspective, that's an injustice, and we should be rightly angry. But also there's another way to look at it, God's perspective. The Heavenly Father, in the greatest act of mercy, allowed this man to walk free taken upon his own sin, the sin of the world. And so as we look at it from man's perspective, what happened to Jesus was unjust. As we look at it from God's perspective, God whose authority overall, in spite of man's fallibility and in spite of the sinfulness of man, Jesus in his mercy came and died. And Barabbas here is a picture of you and me. It is we who rightly deserve the punishment of our sin. But Jesus took it 
upon himself. He died on the cross to take your sins on himself. Think about that for a moment. The greatest act of mercy that could ever be given would be the innocent one who had authority over all to take sin upon himself. And so then as we look at it in in light of what, what we've looked at in all of this, what a great injustice, though, in terms of man. The, the Son of God, God in the flesh, coming and giving himself fully for our sins. Yet mankind, in his first coming, finding no place for him other than the cross. Stricken of men, ridiculed, and rejected. I wonder today, is there room for him in your life? You say, oh, yeah, there's room. I'm going to come to church on Sunday. I'll I'll give him an hour a week. Well, you know, I really believe Pilate would give him an hour a week. I I believe even the religious leaders, they might listen to him if he didn't ask too much of them. That's not what I'm asking. Is he going to have the center seat of your life? Are you going to say, God, I can't run my life. I believe Jesus came and died for me and rose again, and he's worthy of me. The best that I have to offer, he's worthy of my life. Is there room? Will you adjust that? read the story this past week. It was just a simple everyday story. 2017, a man made his way into the airport that he was getting ready to fly on and he was seated in the first class he had put in the money and was seated and as you know many times they're seated first and then those in regular coach will come in afterward and after the man was seated in his seat uh, there was a young service woman who was in her military attire and she began to make her way past him and, and uh, he stopped her He said, where are you going? She says, I'm going to my seat. He said, no, this is your seat. And he pointed to where he was sitting. She said, no, you don't understand. I'm at 31B. I'm in regular coach. He said, no, you're in my seat. Thank you for your service. And the man humbly walked back where she was supposed to sit. He acknowledged and honored that servicewoman by giving the seat that he paid for to her. How much more the one who walked up Calvary for us and served us, should we give him the first class seat of our life, give him the whole of our lives. Hey, young people, we need you. The church needs you. We need people that will stand boldly on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ who will believe in him, who will stake their life, who will say, I'm going to yield my life to Jesus Christ. I want him. I want him to direct my life. The scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I wonder if Pilate had just had the faith, if he could have really seen what God could have done if he would have just put Jesus first how God would have given him much more than he would ever imagine he'll do that if you'll yield your life to him let's pray father 
on this holy Sunday as you willingly entered the holy city preparing to go outside of the gates of that city on Good Friday to die. Lord, we thank you from God's perspective for your mercy to us. Lord, you took our sin, our debt upon yourself. But Father, as we look at it from man's perspective, how our hearts are grieved that the holy God, God in the flesh, Jesus, there was no accommodation made for him even up to the very end other than the cross. Father, we thank you that you loved us enough to willingly take upon yourself our sin. And Lord, if there be any here today who have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray your spirit would speak the truth of Christ into their hearts, that you would be glorified. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Next Sunday at uh, 1030 across the road, we're going to celebrate.